of course, you see Sam Altman going to testify and he wants a licensing regime. Of course, OpenAI will get a license. Of course, OpenAI's competitors will not get a license. Of course. So if you're OpenAI, you know, and you've now secured billions of dollars in investment in, in fundamentally these transformer models and, you know, the kind of hardware stacks that are specific to replicating them. And you get something that's out of left field, or you get something that's limited by a different factor, that's not limited by the advantages that OpenAI has over its its competitors. You know, maybe Foom is not the sound of AI accelerating, but Foom is the sound of OpenAI's stock going to zero. <laughs> this is no longer a battle of like internet shit posters. You know, this is a battle of real political interests and the forces that drive the Democratic and Republican parties. Mm-hmm. I also <laughs> love that. It's done such a good job of getting rid of these useless grifters, like artists and writers, because honestly, <laughs> they had these pointless degrees. They were a huge, uh, I think, cause of our society's degradation. And I'm so glad that AI has replaced them. There's okay, like there's a real thing underlying that is that like mid is over, right? And, and here, like actually yeah, mid, yeah, I don't yeah, mean. Yeah. Would you like to know more? Hello, everyone. We are very excited to welcome Brian Chow for this episode of Based Camp. We are going to be talking with Brian not about his amazing podcast from the new world, but rather a new venture of his, which is called the Alliance for the Future. So I think that the number one thing to understand is that it's a non-trivial question whether you are able to use machine learning, whether you are able to write machine learning, whether it will be illegal to log on to, you know, chat.openai.com. That, that is a real question that people have different answers to, that many people want for various reasons to ban machine learning pretty much wholesale. And this is, you know, the, the purpose of Alliance for the Future is to do everything we can to make sure that does not happen. Mm. So what what are you saying to the AI apocalypticists who start immediately screaming at you and flailing when you say yeah. things like this? What's your take on Elias Yukowski's positions and how do you respond to them? Yeah, it's, it's very funny. This is very often the, the first question that people ask me when I mention this. Well, yeah. And they're, you know, striking the rogue data centers is among the, I think, the less you know, the, the less dangerous versions of what people are trying to, to get. Like, the, this is something that maybe, maybe I don't know, like, the, there are people in in AFTF, in Alliance for the Future, that are more worried about the EAs. You know, I, I'm friends with many EAs, and I've also seen the kind of regulatory environment in, in Washington, in other countries, in the EU. You know, like, the EU, the EU Commission are not EAs. You know, the Chinese government is not EAs. Chuck Schumer is not an EA. Right? <laughs> I, I just don't think they're the. I, I just don't think they're the major threat. They're like the closest thing to like a non-retarded version of the ban AI argument, and that's why they they get engaged with in like smart parts of Twitter. It's because they are kind of like the 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 smart representatives of this much bigger target of people that I think most EAs would consider like stupid and misguided. So so I don't I don't worry too much about the EAs. I don't want this to be a conflict between, you know, like EAs and like accelerationists or whatever. I think that that's, you know, that's very what, silly. What, that's getting caught up in like what the, I'm asking like, inter, is yeah. 
what do, so you know even our audience you know we've got i i, I suspect some people in our audience who think ais are going to kill us all a lot not a lot because we've taken very hard stances against that well very so i don't know if you know our position on AI. we take a position about variable ai risk which is very different than absolute ai risk but i'm wondering what is your stance like if you're trying to calm somebody down who's like yeah but it looks like genuinely I, I don't see how we remove this threat without restricting access. How do you communicate to them? Oh, so, so there's actually a difference between like Eliezer and like fans of Eliezer. With fans of Eliezer, I just worry that they're driven too much by the current hype cycle. That mm. you know they saw that it's cooling down a bit. They saw you know like GPT three get released, and then they saw GPT four get get released, and they were like, "What if it just keeps developing at the same rate that between GPT three and GPT four was released?" And of course, that did not happen. That was you know that that was the accumulation of lots of work and you know the effort across the the entirety of OpenAI's existence. And there are many technological factors that just slow development. This is this is the trend you see, is that you see, you know, like an accelerating technology, you see it get adopted in early market versions, and then you start to see that the speed of that development petering out. I actually have a more specific argument going through all of the, so far I have the hardware part done. This has been put on the back shelf a bit because of everything else I'm doing right now. But I, I do think art, the first part of the article actually holds up uh, very well in the past in the past few months, which is uh, diminishing re re returns on machine learning. One, mm -hmm. uh, you can find that also at from the new dot world. From the new world, it is the home of everything now. Everything that I do, and yeah. So, so to to those people, I would say you are severely estimating the progress in artificial intelligence. Many of them have, you know, they they have this like the. the I did not come up with this word. They came up with this word of like foom, which is basically like the idea that, you know, it goes foom. <laughs> it, it sounds I, like this sounds like this sounds like a straw man version of the argument, but it is it is actually their own argument that, you know, once it once it starts accelerating, it will just become, you know, extremely fast. It will only get faster and faster. It's like this this is just not this is you know this is hype cycle fantasy in, in terms of like the longer term in, in terms Explain of the longer term why it's hype cycle fantasy and I, like i this is you, the mainstream you just look view. at yeah it, it's, it's not the mainstream view like like maybe it's like maybe it's the view no, no, of no, among, like know, twitter posters like ea okay. zoomers i know like they they genuinely and i i don't mean to be we've tried really hard not to insult specific people on this show but Eliezer Yukowski is the Greta Thornburg of AI apocalypticism. <laughs> no, no, you, you, have to, have... you have to have the Straussian reading of Eliezer, right? So, so the Straussian reading of Eliezer. So, so like the surface level reading of Eliezer is that like he, he just wants to create, you know, massive panic and for government to take control of everything. You know, th th that's what he writes in his Time article pretty much it is. This, is this is like not even really an exaggeration so, so like the straussian reading of eliezer is you know like he, he doesn't actually think the, that the world is like 90 percent that that like the that like the world is like absolutely doomed but he thinks that like no one will take it seriously right he, he thinks that unless you unless you turn the volume everyone's wearing earmuffs so you better turn the volume up to 100 and you better give 
you know, and, and this is, by the way, like not necessarily an incorrect model of how how the government works. Like this is what Fauci did as well. You know, the, the reasoning was, you know, that, that you wouldn't give us power to do any pandemic prevention measures unless we took very extreme uh, positions on how dangerous the virus was, on how confident we were about certain interventions. And, you know, in terms of the politics, Fauci was correct. Like, that was actually correct. He, he got the power. It's very likely that he would not have gotten the power if he made, you know, like a moderate case for the risks of COVID. And I think Eliezer has learned that lesson. So I don't know, like, like maybe. <laughs> so, so like, I think Eliezer is like not as, not as, not as insane as as it sounds like the things that he advocates for are like truly insane but like i think like eliezer the man you know is not necessarily that insane so your argument is just he's he's wildly overcorrecting and that in reality ai is not going to accelerate as quickly as everyone thinks it is and therefore as ai more linearly develops people can develop safeguards as necessary therefore it doesn't present an existential risk and therefore we shouldn't be be stifling its development with regulation and rules is that correct yes yeah, so, so it, it, it's mostly correct so and i should say here i'm speaking for myself not for like the af for aftf yeah, in yeah. general but so, so, like the original version of the P the name of the original version of EA that cared about AI was that long termism, and the reason why it was called long termism is you know the idea is that in hundreds of years humanity, if you just look at you know population growth or like I don't know, you guys have a much more <laughs> much more pessimistic version of this, right? But if we create a way, if we create a way to solve our population growth problems and have the Earth continue growing then the number of humans in the future are just much more than the number of humans in the present. So you have to care about the long term. And in terms of the long term, in terms of the time frame of like hundreds of years, I am not, you know, I'm not completely sure that AI will not be a problem in, in like a hundred years. That is something, you know, that, that, that I accept as, as a possibility. The, the, the question is, you know, if you have a, a pace of technological growth, that is, you know, what you would infer from, every other technology that has ever existed pretty much from, you know, like the history of technological development from, you know, early science to the industrial revolution to more recent cycles, the 2000 cycle, you know, the, the very recent, you know, like 2020 to 2021 cycle of technologies, you get that, you, you get this very known thing, very well-known thing called an S-curve. You get an early acceleration and then it peters out and then that's where the hard work has to be done. Mm -hmm. Actually getting the technology adopted in all of these sectors of society. And this is also like the mainstream economist view. And, you know, I'm not like this, like the thing is, this is the mainstream view, right? The mainstream view is that, you know, hype cycles happen, that techno technological progress is good, but it is not necessarily something that should be, you know, that, that you should go all in on, right? You should, you know, you should invest in some tech stocks, but you should not, you know, gamble your entire life savings on one tech stock and so on and so forth. So I, I really do think this is the implementation of, the normal, the, the normie, like non-hyper online position on technology as policy. That That's how I would put it. So okay. functionally, your organization, if it succeeds, what's it doing? What specific changes does it make in policy? How do you achieve those? What research are you outputting? 
so Alliance for the Future is a completely new think tank. The number one thing is just to balance the scales, because right now there, there is a lot of funding, either from the EA side, although I don't think that's the main problem, but, but even more from existing political interests. And of course, you, you, you see Sam Altman going to testify and he, he wants a licensing regime. Of course, OpenAI will get a license. Of course, OpenAI's competitors will not get a license. Yeah, of course, you know, um, like, increase the barriers to entry. Actually, so this is a, a thing that you're, you're, you're talking about briefly here, but I really want our audience to understand this. So in the, in the business world, you know, you, what you want to do to maximize the value of your company is to advocate for regulation. Like a lot of people are really surprised that like Google would advocate for like internet search regulation or like, but this is what you see with any large monopoly in a space is they spend a huge chunk of their revenue advocating for regulation of their own company. And the reason they're doing that is because it prevents new entrants from entering the market, which protects their monopoly. That is why people like Sam Altman are advocating for this regulation. It's not because they're genuinely scared of AI. It's because they're the first players on the market. Continue. This is something, this is actually a very important topic. Okay, like this is a good venue to be like very autistic about this. So there's, there is this, I think like he published most of his stuff in the 60s, 70s. Economist, one of the, considered one of like the founding people of political economy, Gordon Tulloch. Okay, all the GMU people love this guy because he was from GMU, I think. And he has this idea called the Tulloch Rectangle. And th that idea is that, okay, you look at, you know, if you looked at a supply and demand curve, when there's regulations that interfere with the supply and demand curve, it can increase the profit uh, of, of an industry that is being interfered with because it stops and essentially like the, the number of new, new customers or like the, the amount of increased profit from these regulations outweighs the amount of the amount that you lose from missing out on some traits. But the way that I really want to see this expanded is with firm dilution and not only with firm dilution, but with dilution of the entire industry. So, so, so what do I mean by this? In an industry like machine learning, you have basically, you, you have a precedent that people are not sure is optimal. So you have, you know, right now we have transformers pretty much. We, we have this paper from 2017. There have been minor modifications to it. The paper is called Attention is All You Need. And this basically outlined the way in which all language models and many similar models operate. And we don't really, like, it's the best we got so far. But it's not like, it's not like a mathematical proof. It's not like a certain thing, you know we have no idea if this is the best way to do machine learning. And in fact, many of the people who are more hyped about AI think that, you know, we're, we're just about to get another breakthrough in how we do, you know, how we do machine learning. And so if you're open AI, you know, and, and you've now secured billions of dollars in investment in, in, in fundamentally these transformer models and, you know, the kind of hardware stacks that are specific to replicating them, and you get something that's out of left field, or you get something that's limited by a different factor, that's not limited by the advantages that OpenAI has over its its competitors. You know, maybe Foom is not the sound of AI accelerating, but Foom is the sound of OpenAI's stock going to zero. Actually, <laughs> you know, like to this topic, just a shout out for listeners, because I have a little request from a friend here. I, I know of this company that's found a way to create like much better using your own models, like like much tighter chipsets. Anybody who's interested in investing in like a large fab 
like like look i'm talking you know many millions of dollars but that can make ai much less expensive to run i've got a company that's interested in doing that right now they've already developed all the stuff they're just looking for whoever they work with on the space oh this is fascinating so this is like not an open open ai competitor but like a tsmc competitor or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. okay interesting interesting Another thing I wanted to dive into is before we started recording, you had alluded to this not being really an EA style think tank. And I thought that was interesting because it, you are trying to be effective in your altruism through doing this, <laughs> right? Like yeah, I'm yeah. so, so tell me more. Why do you think this is not an EA thing? So, so like on the, on the Center for Effective Altruism homepage, they have like this essay about like who is who is an effective altruist and they basically say like everyone who wants the world to be better and who likes evidence and i'm like okay <laughs> you know i i guess it's an ea think tank sure give us money <laughs> of course you know most eas you know most eas want more more regulation in the sh even in the short term or actually I i'm not sure but like the, the people who are you know most funded by eas that's what they want i, I should say as well this is an article that might be out by then, but there's also a very strong EA case. E even if you think that they're, I, I actually, I, I say this as well, like the more you think that AI is happening soon, the more it's the Flight 93 election. <laughs> the, the more you should be trying to make sure that there is no government control of AI because there is one institution in all of human history that is guaranteed to be misaligned. And that is the most powerful government in the world. Why is that institution always guaranteed to be misaligned? The answer is political economy. It goes back to Tulloch. It goes back to many of the factors we were talking about. But people have the idea. Oh, you know, in, in markets, there's externalities. In, in markets, people will compete. And the thing that makes them succeed will not always be the thing that's best for the general population. And, you know, when it comes to elections, you know, the thing that makes people succeed in elections, the, the thing that makes them get the most votes is always going to be the thing that is, you know, most rational and sane. Uh, right, and of course, course it's not true. And, and you go further, you go further down the level, right? So there are these like nesting, there are these layers of, of the onion as mm. you go down like the policy making stack and people don't transfer their lessons. So I think many EAs, maybe they've read like Brian Kaplan, they've read, they might even have read Garrett Jones and they they, they understand the flaws of, of the voter. They understand the flaws of, 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 you know, when you go and cast your ballot for Donald Trump and Joe Biden, that that's not necessarily the the the, the best thing that, that, you know, that they're not necessarily going to be doing the best thing for the world. But you go one level down the stack to the legislative level or to the administrative level, and they do not see the exact same incentives in play where when you pass a bill, for example, when you pass like a, like the authorization of the use of military force. Right. Or, or when you pass like when, when you pass like the budget, the, the, the budget reconciliation bill, what factors go into play in terms of getting your policy priority into that bill? And what in what ways will it be corrupted by the process, by the requirements and the incentives for it to be there in the first place? And you know, the short answer, th this is something very funny that I, that I that I posted about recently and got a lot of support on Twitter for, is that like there are some ideas that are so correct that even the most straw man version of them is true. So like the extreme <laughs> straw man version of, of, of my opinion is like, or, or, or of this, like it really like not my opinion originally, but like the, 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 the field of political economy, the extreme straw man of it is that like whatever idea you want to get into law will be unrecognizably corrupted once it is in law. 
And even that like extreme straw man is like pretty much true. <laughs> you, you just look at like- I wouldn't call it an extreme straw man. You're like, this is what my opponent's like, but it's true, even the most insane of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's the best thing about it, right? Like, like even you know, even you know, the most fervent supporters of law, you know, you, you ask them, you know, you ask them like, what happens? What do you think this law will look like after it's passed? They'll say like, I, I, I don't know. I just hope it's. It, this is also like a take that that I want to I want to like specifically address if we're talking about addressing EA takes is that I've had multiple people that I really respect say like. Oh, we, we want the government to interfere because it will just slow down progress. We we just want it to like cause harm. And as long as it's like as long as it's like causing harm, it will reduce the probability or the speed that we get AGI. And this is also something that I don't necessarily think is true. And the best counterexample in recent memory is gain of function research. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so we have this phrase called like anarcho-tyranny. Usually people talk about it in the context of SF, which is like the bad actors are not punished because they're outside of the system. The only people who are punished are like the good actors in the system. Right. Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're punished for like protecting your convenience store. But like the, the, the people who rob your convenience store are, are like rewarded by the state. Uh, and, and you see the exact same thing in regulatory capture. You see the FDA, you know, very various you guys you guys actually have had experience with this right with going after novel technologies that have some promise but they will also you know this is not the fda but the u.s government will also fund gain of function research in wuhan <laughs> so, so yeah. it's the question is not you know this like one singular lever of what it does to the industry it is much more of the question of like how it influences the distribution of of players and you know the most likely thing that will happen with the distribution of players is that oh actually it's just open ai google facebook and so on or or not really a so on it is really much just uh, in this case you know in in some regulatory capture cases there are more but in this case you know it is it is really just you know like the major named players so let's say that you are successful with this beyond your wildest dreams how will the world be different? Is it a scenario in which rather than there being like three players who are setting the tone for AI, it's a little bit more distributed, like a lot of people are contributing, it's more open source or, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of environment or ecosystem do you, are you trying to create? So many people, this is a very fascinating critique of political economy, because if you look at these incentives, they, they rarely ever change. So, so there are cases of just being like a doomer, of people saying like, not, not an AI doomer, but people like saying, oh, like the regulatory crackdown is inevitable. Mm -hmm. But you just look at the history of the United States, and that's just not true. The best example is, you guys remember SOPA, like the stop or like something like online. Yes, yeah. they were trying to stop oh the internet God. nonsense. Yes. Yes. Wow. So, so like this, this was uh, a case. I think it was the. It was I forget I forget which agency there was. Some some agency was trying to pass. I forget the exact name of it, but it may have been. Okay, whatever. But but basically, they were trying to do this restriction of content on the internet. Basically, saying that you know, like if any if any like random commenter said or like linked to porn or or something like that, then it would be you know the, then the entire website would be subject to legal crackdowns. Right. And people people just wrote in. People got got media attention. It became like it became like this, this huge like unification of the internet was was one way that it was described. 
we are basically unanimously everyone was like this is a terrible idea this is just you know this is just disastrous and we stopped it <laughs> you know we had a, we had a w and there are instances where there are calls for regulating an emerging industry and for one reason or another it just doesn't happen you can look at the internet, for example. You know, this is in the broader history of the internet. Mark Andreessen actually gave me this example, right? So, so Mark Andreessen, you know, like he he talked about he talked about this on my podcast. He's been on several others, but it should be should be out by the time you know this this releases. And he talked about you know like nowadays, like what if you try to call what, what if you try to ban the internet now? We've created a successful political constituency. If if your industry is big enough which I think machine learning will be, you know, I, I think even though we won't get, you know, artificial general intelligence, we will get, you know, many commercial applications. We have many commercial yeah. applications now, right? Yeah. And once all of those are adopted, once all of those are, you know, regular parts of people's lives, if it's big enough, like the internet is, and like I think machine learning will be, then you've created a political constituency. You know, all you have to uh. do is wait for the existing adoption curve to happen. So you're, you're, be- you're saying that you're trying to broker that transition to like get to a place where adoption is wide enough where like the market will handle the protection because they are dependent on it and huge fans right it's, it's not learning. even the market it's just you know like if half your country is using chat gpt or using some form of llm you right know, you, you, you're not banning it i'm sorry you know yeah like no one will get reelected if they support any legislation that does that so basically before that saturation has been reached you are trying to ensure that we don't preemptively make that impossible Right. Yeah, now now is the most important reason for exact or now is the most important moment for exactly that reason. Mm. It is because it's it's the only, you know, it's the period of time in which it is most politically vulnerable, but yeah. most economically has the most economic potential. Yeah, that's meaningful. Are you concerned about all the people? Because it sounds like you're not really fighting against EAers who are making weird arguments against AI. You're more fighting against legislators who are like, well, but you know, they might have much more what you might say, like normie arguments against it. Right. So they're going to say, well, what about yeah, yeah. So, so the fact that AI is going to take jobs yeah. away? You know, what are you going to say to them? I, I want to take an interlude b- between this. Most of the people who are actually proposing like the, these like legislative crackdowns yeah. are very anti-EA. You know, they, they are anti like like one of these people, like Timnit Gebru, who is like this race grifter who is now like focused on machine learning, is <laughs> they like or like she absolutely like despises EA for like honestly like pretty pathological reasons. Like it's not helpful for her for in, in any way to dislike EA. You know, to, like they could easily be you know like legislative allies but but she like you know but but she just absolutely uh despises them you know loves calling them racist because they believe in iq and they believe in like uh, okay uh, so that general approach yeah yeah like a lot of the most despicable people like also hate ea and like like this is you know it's no longer just this is no longer a battle of like internet shit posters you know, that this is a battle of real political interests and the forces that drive the Democratic and Republican parties. Mm-hmm. What's is- your rebuttal to their arguments? Though? Because those aren't EA arguments. So what is your rebuttal to this is going to take away jobs? It's it's dangerous and we don't need it. So why should we support it, etc.? The, the jobs point is, is particularly interesting because it's 
it's kind of like framed as a Republican concern. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very, it's very funny. It actually relates to the other discussion that that we've had, or <laughs> the discussion in the future that I that I have some premonitions about. <laughs> yeah, the, in many cases, AI, the, the things that AI are replacing are kind of bullshit jobs. They're, th- they're things that people already dislike you know people do not there's this wonderful uh tweet by uh sam altman that says you know today i've had one person tell me that they've used chat gpt to expand their bullet points into a long corporate email and another person tell me that they've used chat gpt to condense a long corporate email into five bullet points it's the future of communication i also love that it's done such a good job of getting rid of these useless grifters, like artists and writers, because honestly, <laughs> they had these pointless degrees. They were a huge, uh, I think, cause of our society's degradation. And I'm so glad that AI has replaced them. There's okay, like there's a real thing underlying that is that like mid is over. Right. And, and here, like, actually, yeah, mid. Yeah, I don't yeah, mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, I like, like that way of putting it. it. It's very funny because people portray, like, the most famous people portray, like, Drake being replaced by AI. It's like, no, he has, he still has interesting things going on. Or like Taylor Swift. Look at Taylor Swift's, like, ticket sales. You know, like, she, she's not worried about this. The thing, like if the, the top like the people who are actually contributing to you know the culture that we consume every single day they're they're just gonna be fine and in fact they're going the, like the next generation sam woods was on my podcast he, he had this wonderful line which is your job's not going to be replaced by chat gpt it's going to be replaced by someone using chat gpt uh, i mm-hmm. think that you know in in the future like the meta the meta of art will be very much and I think like the, the top artists today will be able to adapt. They have that kind of like entrepreneurial focus. Taylor Swift is once again, a great example. Like, I think she'll really enjoy, you know, playing and her team will really enjoy using the new tools to discover like the frontier of music. That, but I think that what you're discounting here, things that people never I think you're wrong here. I think people like she represents represent 1% of people. Like the vast, vast majority of people Would have not grime. done anything. Grimes has adapted. Yeah, Taylor exactly, exactly. I think that you are overestimating the competence and the aggressiveness of this top, you know, 1% of society. And that for a long time, they haven't been pushed out. Like Quentin Tarantino, like digital cameras come along. He's like, I'm not going to touch them. Even still, he doesn't do them. A lot of the, throughout most of our history, you've been able to get away with that kind of BS, that kind of arrogance. But I don't think you're going to be able to now. Yeah, there is the innovator's dilemma. I, I think you're right, actually. I'll, I'll say more like, I, I think that non-zero of the current top artists will adapt. In terms of like one specific one, yeah, like, you know, I'm not 100% sure that Taylor Swift will be, you know, will, will be the one who is like, yeah, who, who is taking up all of these new tools. But I think that, I think that it will be, you know, it will be a hybrid. That I'm very confident about. That, you know, the, the mainstream of art, the mainstream of culture, the mainstream of film, those will all, you know, it won't be, it won't be completely AI generated. It won't be completely human generated, created from scratch. It will be some combination of the two. 
just like, you know, we had digital cameras, people, you know, people are adapting to digital cameras. We had the internet, we had social media, we now have a mix, right? You can think of uh, Netflix as a, as a mix between the original film model and YouTube, hmm. right? Garrett Jones has this amazing term like spaghetti and spaghetti assimilation, which is he uses this in the context of immigrants. So like Italians come to America and like, or like they come to New York and they make New York, you know, they become more like New Yorkers, but New York's culture also, you know, they start eating pizza and they start eating spaghetti. They, they, it becomes more Italian. And I think the same is true of AI. You know, our current culture will become more like AI. It will, there will be, you know, I think like Sam Woods put it best, you know, the replacement of jobs is not really going to be, you know, like vertical. It's not really going to be like people being completely replaced by AI. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a new skill set. People are learning uh, to do something better. And, you know, the people who will do that better are going to be the people who use AI. I think, though, that what's understated is that a huge portion of knowledge workers, and in that I include people like sales, marketing, writers, artists, designers, salespeople, like website people, have been doing work that isn't actually used. Like, like I think we've had this period of inertia where people are still hiring and paying and thinking that they need these people even before AI and like actually not using the vast majority of work they do and that there are busloads of graduating classes that believe that their job is to sit behind a computer and write strategy documents and analyze things but not actually build or create anything. And that these people are are going to get laid off. They're getting laid off in droves. They're not going to get rehired. They're going to have to figure out their own way. Do you think that those groups are capable of building new lives for themselves when they've been conditioned to do something that is completely different? Like this. So, so this is an interesting question. This is an interesting like economics question, but I, I do want to like mess with the framing a little bit. Go ahead. I think like you know, this is not that related to AI. This is this is like related yeah, to low interest rates more than it is related to AI. Like oh, interest it is rates. kind of like it is like these things happening in the same time. But like you know, you, you could easily see a world where you know OpenAI just develops, or like all OpenAI and its competitors just develop and release everything like a few years earlier. Yeah. And we have AI being being released to broader society in like a in like a you know user friendly way, at the same time as like the crypto hype bubble. Mm. What, what would the vibes be around AI then? You know, if it's like if it's like the tail end of the lockdown, crypto stocks are going crazy. You know, and then OpenAI publishes like current level ChatGPT. What are the vibes then? And I think it will be a vibe of like just much more optimism. It won't be a, a vibe of like complaining. Right. It won't be a vibe of like, you know, and, and of course this is not really an argument for my position, but it's an argument against, you know, I, I think it's an argument against much of the contemporary. This is like not the EAs, right? I think the EAs would still be worried, but for like the people worried about jobs, for the people who are worried about, you know, like automation, for the people who are worried about, you know, basically collapse, I think that that's much more kind of absorbing the more general economic environment than it is an actual concern about AI. Yeah. Well, what I like about your view is that it's it's actually quite optimistic, which is super not Gen Z. Like, I really like that. It's eminently reasonable. It's like, actually, this problem will solve itself. We're going to have the critical mass of machine learning users, essentially, that are going to make sure that it doesn't get 
you know, walled off and made very difficult to open source and, you know, collaboratively develop. I'm just going to help to bridge the gap with this. And I think that makes me super intrigued to see how it goes for the Alliance for the Future. I'm really glad that you are in its foundational team and doing this work. And I'm, so I'm keen to, to see how it goes. Listeners, if you're interested in this, check out the Alliance for the Future. Check out his Brian's podcast as well. Yeah, yes. AFFuture.org is how to find us. We would really, really appreciate donations at this early stage. And yeah, you can check out all of my writing. You can check out my writing on AI specifically at pluralism.ai. And uh, you can check out all of it, including the podcast at fromthenew.world. Thank you so much, Brian. This is, it's always really fun to talk with you. <laughs> awesome. This, this was very fun. It was not, you know, it wasn't four hours, but it was, <laughs> you know. See, was... we don't have attention spans for that. We're like fast, but you know, that's yeah, how yeah, we yeah. Think hey, you, you guys were, you guys were on the podcast for four hours. <laughs> so for people who want to see our podcast with him, we talked to him for like four hours each and I was hammered when I Completely talked to him. Completely hammered. <laughs> at like 9 a.m. at night going on until like 1 a.m. in the morning. It was enjoyable. But it was more like, I think it was like 3 until 8 p.m. But for Malcolm, who whose day starts at 2 a.m., that is like extreme. No, no, no. It was late. It, uh, it no, was, it was I, late. I went past midnight, I think, was recording. It went, it went pretty late. I don't think... Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it was midnight. In my, in my brain, late. it was past midnight. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> okay, okay. But yeah, our no viewers, it was great. check it out. He has a great show. He really knows how to pull things out of people. Yeah, yeah. You elicit amazing questions. You're an amazing interviewer. So yeah, check out From the New World, but also the Alliance for the Future. Thanks again, Brian. Yes.